Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. Well, it's great to see everybody uh, here on this beautiful evening. Hope you guys got outside, were able to enjoy the nice weather. Um, <clears throat> before I, I begin, I just want to uh, mention that uh, I've really uh, enjoyed our, our series so far in, in Revelation, and uh, it's been uh, a, a pretty difficult book to think through and uh, preach through. And when Ben and I were first talking about going through uh, this book, uh, he was a little reluctant, and I was all gung-ho about it. Um, but I can understand his reluctance because he was the one that was bearing most of the burden in, in the preaching of this, of this book. Uh, but I've really appreciated uh, Ben's approach uh, in teaching through this book and, and just the way that he's gone about it. Um, I've really uh, appreciated that. Um, and also, I've been, I've been pretty convicted uh, about a few things, and, and I hope you have as well. Uh, one thing in particular for myself uh, is when kind of early on in, in the series, uh, we kept talking about conquering and what does it mean to conquer and how do you conquer, and Ben kept saying, you conquer through death. And I was like, that sounds kind of lame. Like... <laughs> You conquer by dying, like it's kind of a kind of a bummer of a of a statement. But again, as we as we were uh, thinking through and, and going through the series, you know, it's 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 what the text says. And while there's you know several ways to to die, dying to yourself and and being set apart uh, from the culture and and, and kind of uh, dying in that regard as well. Uh, there's also a very physical component of uh, you know, being being a martyr um, and a faithful witness, and uh, physically dying, and so, and that's we've 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 looked at uh, instances where that's you know the gospel has has spread as as a result of of martyrs being uh, killed in the name of of Christ, and so um, I just again appreciated and been challenged by just the faithfulness that that Ben has uh, stuck by uh, the scriptures with. So I just wanted to. Uh, mentioned that uh, before we got started. Um, so we're going to be in uh, in Revelation chapter 18 uh, this evening, and uh, again talking about some uh, fairly difficult and hopefully uh, convicting and encouraging things. Uh, it's kind of the theme of of this book, it seems like. Um, but again, it's all to the glory of God and the encouragement of His church. Um, so if you would please. Pray with me, and then we'll get to our passage. God, we thank you that uh, we get to gather together as your people. We thank you that we get to uh, that we get to have the freedom to uh, be here, and um, we thank you, God, that you are that Jesus is the head of our church, that we are we are His body, that He is our shepherd. We are his sheep. God, as we go through uh, this, this passage tonight, God, I pray that you would um, just speak to our hearts, help us to identify areas where we may have um, allowed the culture to 
creep into our our beliefs, our the way that we have conducted our lives. Help us to um, help us to see hope in the midst of of chaos and uncertainty. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we can stand on your truth. Uh, please be with us and be with me tonight as I preach your word. In Jesus' name. So if you would please, uh, if you're able and willing to stand for the reading of God's word, we're going to read the entirety of chapter 18. Chapter 18. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a loud, with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has, she has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her. And the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning, since in her heart she says, I sit as queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason, her plagues will, be, will, will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire, for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her, will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn for her since no one buys their cargo anymore, cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented woods, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle and ship, sheep, horses and chariots and slaves, that is, human souls. The fruit for which you, your, long, your soul longed has gone from you, and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gain wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels and with pearls. For in a single hour, all this wealth has been laid waste. And the shipmasters and the seafaring men and sailors and all whose trade is on the sea stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like that great city? And they threw dust on their heads, and they wept and mourned, crying out, 
Alas, alas, for the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. For in a single hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters, will be heard in her no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on the earth. This is the word of the Lord. You may have a seat. So right off at the beginning, we have an angel coming down from heaven who has great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice saying, Fall and fall, and is Babylon the great. So the first question we might ask is, who is Babylon? Historically, Babylon was an empire in the time of Ezekiel and Daniel, who were prophets in the Old Testament. And Babylon was central in the judgment of Tyre when Ezekiel prophesied that it would be destroyed. However, Babylon also is representative of other world empires. And there have been many that have come through history the Egyptian Empire, then the Babylonian Empire, and then the Persian Empire, and the Macedonian Empire, and then the Roman Empire. And this is the time that John is writing to these seven churches during the Roman Empire. And while Rome is the empire that is reigning, the spirit of of Babylon is alive and well in Rome. So the next question we might ask is, why has Babylon fallen? What did Babylon do to face this judgment? In verse 5, it tells us that her sins are heaped as high as heaven. God has remembered her iniquities. Verse 7 says she glorified herself and lived in luxury. She says in her heart, I sit as queen. I am no widow, and mourning I shall never See, the common element or theme with these rulers of these empires is that they have a God complex. They see themselves as God, as sovereign over creation. The power they have amassed, they have gained, has made them prideful, and they deify themselves and require worship. So how has Babylon influenced the world? Well, it says, the nations have drunk the wine of the passions of her sexual immorality. The kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality with her. The merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. The nations and kings of the world have become addicted and consumed by the power they have with her. They are intoxicated by the influence and prestige they have amassed for themselves, and their thirst will never be quenched. The merchants have accumulated great wealth as a result of the power of Babylon wields throughout 
or through her luxurious living. Next we see or we hear, John hears from another voice. And this voice says, come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins and lest you share in her plagues. So here God is giving a command. He's commanding his people to come out of Babylon. And as Ben mentioned last week, it's not primarily a physical leaving of this place, though uh, that's, there's definitely been examples of times when God has called his people physically out of uh, locations before destructions. Uh, there, this is a direct uh, reference to Isaiah 48, where God calls his people to flee, uh, get out of Babylon, free, flee from Chaldea. And you might also be reminded of uh, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? God's going to destroy that city, and he sends two angels, and they, they tell Lot to get, get him and his family out before they, before they destroy the city because of the wickedness of the people there. However, in this passage, the warning seems to be a more spiritual or moral fleeing from Babylon. And throughout the Bible, the Old and New Testament, we have seen God continually call his people to be set apart. God gave Abraham the physical uh, sign of circumcision as a way to show that his people are set apart. God gave Moses and his people his law with dietary restrictions and, and, and other laws to follow to show that his people were set apart. God warned his people as they were inhabiting different lands to not worship the idols of the neighboring nations around them, that they were to worship God and God alone. In Romans 12, it says, do not be conformed to this world. First Peter says, you shall be holy for I am holy. James 1 says, keep yourself unstained from the world. And here, God is telling his people again to come out of Babylon, to not be, not be influenced by uh, the beliefs or the culture of Babylon. And it's not just a command, but it's a command with a warning. Come out of her lest you take part in her sins and share in her plagues. Babylon's sins are sins of pleasure and pride and self-reliance, of worship of self and rejection of God as ruler over creation. And there was a temptation to some of the churches that John was writing to in Asia Minor to compromise their faith and conform to the culture around them. The church in Pergamum had some who were holding to the teachings of the Nicolaitans, and they were eating food sacrificed to idols and engaging in sexual immorality. The church in Thyatira was being seduced by a woman named Jezebel, and they too were practicing sexual immorality and eating food sacrificed to idols. The church in Laodicea was boasting about how rich they were and how prosperous they were and how they were in need of nothing or so they thought. So what are some of the temptations of the church in our time? What are some of the cultural influences that we need to maybe turn away from? Well, there are some obvious temptations that we've seen uh, recently, things that hopefully for most of us are pretty easy to identify and, and reject. Gay marriage has been something that has started to infiltrate the church. Transgenderism, even in, the, in some church leadership. Maybe other things that are a little more political. 
like critical race theory or the Black Lives Matter organization. Things that most of us, I don't think anyone here, would have a problem speaking out against. And if there is someone here or people here that, that, that would maybe embrace some of those things, then I would love to talk with you about those issues. But something that might hit a little closer to home for some of us are things regarding politics or maybe patriotism. There the line might be a little more blurry. Is being a Republican synonymous with being a Christian? Are we possibly drunk, so drunk on our politics that we're blind to the corruption and hypocrisy from some of our politicians? I want to be clear in saying that politics do matter, and as Christians, we should be engaged in politics. It's vitally important. But our allegiance should be to Christ because we are citizens of heaven, not to our political party. The state is not God. God is over the state. And God sets the standard for what is good and for what is evil. And recently, I've been challenged by this in uh, the debate about abortion. There's two camps, right? You have the pro-choice camp that say it's, it's a woman's right to kill a child in the womb. If it's her choice, she has bodily autonomy, her body, her choice. And then you have the pro-life group who wants to end or limit abortion. And unfortunately, recently, it seems as the pro-life movement group has been willing to compromise a little more with the pro-choice movement rather than continue to push against it. And what I mean is that pro-life legislators would support a bill that would limit abortions, you know, in the first term, or even better, if you can detect a heartbeat, then you're not allowed to have an abortion. While those things are good and they're making steps towards ending abortion completely, there have been other legislators in the pro-life movement who have shut down bills being passed to abolish abortion because they feel like the penalties for those involved in abortion are too strong. So my struggle is if we are going to be consistent and say that life begins at the moment of conception and abortion is murder, then can we even support a bill that allows an abortion if there's no heartbeat? The abolition of abortion is the only consistent and logical pro-life position, no matter how culturally unpopular it might seem. So this is just one example of how Babylon has potentially influenced the church in America, and possibly without even us being aware of it. It's a slow and steady influence, or it might be called, be called to compromise our Christian beliefs. So what happens if we don't keep ourselves out of Babylon, if we allow the culture to influence us? It says that we will share in the plagues of Babylon. So what are these plagues? Verse 8 says, For this reason her plagues will come in a single day, death 
and mourning and famine, and she will be burned with fire. Death, mourning, famine, and burn with fire. Death and fire are plagues of destruction and finality. Those who are seduced by Babylon will ultimately die if they don't repent of their wickedness and turn to Jesus. The short-term pleasures of Babylon will have disastrous and eternal consequences. And this judgment will be swift. There's a repetition of the same or a very similar phrase. Verse 8 says, For this reason her plagues will come on her in a single day. Verse 10 says, For in a single hour your judgment has come. Verse 17, For in a single hour all this wealth has been laid waste. And verse 19 says, For in a single hour she has been laid waste. It's very, it's quick, it's immediate. These plagues will come down swiftly on Babylon, and Babylon will be powerless to stop it. And it's her pride and her arrogance that will be her undoing. As I was preparing for this message, I was watching a documentary about kind of the rise and fall of Babylon. And it was pretty incredible to see just how immense and how amazing this city was. It was truly a great, a great city. It had these two huge walls that surrounded the city. They were super thick and seemingly impenetrable. And the Euphrates River ran right down the middle of it. And they had a big gate in the river, and the gate went underneath the water so that no one could get in. And one night, there was this huge party that Babylon was throwing, and they were drinking and eating and just having a great time while the Persians were trying to get into the city. And Babylon figured, hey, we have our huge walls. We have our big gate. We are totally fine. We can just sit here and party and be completely fine. What they didn't realize is that the Persians upriver had diverted the river into an empty lake bed, and the water slowly went down. And so by night, they were able, the Persians were able to, to sneak under the gate in the river, and that was the end of Babylon. So it was her arrogance and her pride that was her undoing. And although Babylon was conquered, now the Persians were on top. They were the king of the hill. They were the mighty empire. And the Persians were defeated by Alexander the Great, and now the Macedonians took the place as the new empire. And the cycle just continued and continued and continued until when John is writing to Revelation and the Roman Empire is is the the world leader. But it's not just the rulers of Babylon or the leaders of Babylon that are affected by these plagues and this judgment. It's the kings of the earth. It's the merchants of the earth. It's the shipmasters and the sailors whose trade was on the sea. Verse 9 says, And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, in a single hour your judgment has come. Here it seems that these kings are from other nations who partook of the wine of her seduction and enjoy the lifestyle of her luxuries they had with her. But they were spared from death and destruction, and now they are weeping at the sight 
of the smoke from her burning. And notice also that they stand far off. They're afraid of her torment. These ruling elites are going to try to, they're not going to rush in to save her. They're going to stay away at a safe distance because they're afraid that they might end up just like Babylon did, a smoldering wasteland. And they cry out for the great city that she was. And they were mourning the loss of the luxury and the pleasures they once enjoyed. And they feared that their fate might be just as hers was. And these kings represent national power and security. They align themselves with this great city, this great powerful city, Babylon. And they were safe and protected and cared for, or so they thought. And now they're exposed and alone and vulnerable. They no longer have the false sense of security that they once enjoyed with that great city. And then we have the merchants and their response to seeing the destruction of Babylon. They weep and mourn because no one is going to buy their goods anymore. This list of goods is what they sold. Notice that in this list, some of the items are found on the prostitute who rides the beast in chapter 17. In chapter 17, verse 4, it says, The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels. These same costly royal adornments were sold by the merchants to the prostitute herself. Their commerce and their income was so tightly connected to Babylon that when she was destroyed, there was no one left to buy their goods. And note also that the slaves or the human souls are last on the list, even after the animals. It just shows the depravity of the culture and the spirit of Babylon. Verse 14 mentions the delicacies and the splendors that are lost in Babylon when she is destroyed. I was listening to a Sunday school teaching on this chapter, and the teacher was talking about just how lavish and luxurious some of the emperors in Rome lived. Uh, Nero, who's one of the more famous of the emperors of Rome, uh, he had a party, and he decided to spend the equivalent of $100,000 on roses from Egypt, just for one party. $100,000, the equivalent of $100,000 in our time, just on roses for one party. There was another ruler who only ruled for about six months, and for whatever reason, his delicacies that he enjoyed were eating peacock's brains and nightingale's tongues. I highly doubt it was for the taste. This same guy also, he was quite a foodie. um, In the six months that he reigned, he spent a total of the equivalent of $20 million on food alone in six months. Talk about a wealth gap, right? You have the elites up here spending millions of dollars, and then you have the rest of the serfs down below In verse 17, it talks about the shipmasters and the seafaring men, the sailors whose trade was on the sea, and that they also stood far, off, stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. They said, what city was like this great city? 
There was no city that compared to Rome during its reign. The power it wielded was unmatched, and yet, now it lays in ruins. And if Rome could be utterly destroyed, then what empire could stand a chance? Verse 19, they said, Alas, alas, for the great city where all who had ships and grew rich by her wealth. So here again, we just see the vastness of the influence of Babylon, the global influence that it had. How so many groups of people, all these ships were going various areas and nations around the world. They were so dependent on her. And so the devastation of her is felt throughout the entire world. And again, thinking back to our own cultural moment, which empire or world leader would we say fits the description of an empire whose reaches are felt so far across the world? I think most of us, most anybody would probably say America. Whenever there's a war or some kind of global conflict, everyone looks to America for what they're going to do. The U.S. economy is, what is the largest in the world. The GDP of America is $22.68 trillion. I don't even know what that number looks like. It's followed next by China with $16.64 trillion. During the pandemic, America was front and center in how they were responding and how they were distributing vaccines throughout the entire world. <clears throat> America's influence and success has a global impact. And as we've come to realize, some of the intentions of America or motivations that they have might not always be good and pure. So while our, while our country was founded on biblical principles, and we can see how the law of God has influenced our founders and how they wrote our Constitution, we can also see how our country has shifted away from a lot of those principles and how the influence of Babylon has gotten a hold of our country. And by the grace of God, there are still Christians that are influential, but it seems as though Christians as a whole in America have become irrelevant or marginalized. In America, it's more culturally accepted and even celebrated to be gay or transgendered, and you're almost demonized if you are a Christian. So, how are we called to live as Christians in a culture that seems so opposed to God? The only way we can do it is by being faithful, faithful witnesses to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the only thing that can bring a culture out of darkness and into light. The gospel is the only thing that can give true hope and security in a world of chaos and fear. In Matthew 28, we have a command from Jesus. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all that I commanded you. And we have the assurance from Jesus that he will be with us. In that same passage just before, 
the command to baptize and teach, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Not just some authority, not just authority in heaven. Remember, he's about to ascend into heaven after he gives this commission. But he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Psalm 110, verse 1, which is the most quoted Old Testament verse in the New Testament. It says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. If Jesus is now sitting at the right hand of the Father, which he is, if Jesus has all authority on earth, which he does, then we should have the most hope and confidence that his purpose will be accomplished through our proclamation of the gospel. At the end of our passage, starting in verse 21, that's another picture of the complete destruction of Babylon. In this list, it shows that all the goodness, all the beauty, all the creativity, all the security, all the love will be entirely wiped out of Babylon. A culture devoid of God's influence is no longer a culture at all. And going back up to verse 20, we see another command given to God's people. At the beginning, we saw the first command, flee from Babylon, lest we partake in, his, in her sins and share in her plagues. But here the command is to rejoice. Verse 20 says, Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. And at first glance, it might seem that we're supposed to rejoice over the destruction of all these people and the, and, and, and the, and the destruction of our enemies. But hopefully, as I've, I've been able to show you that Babylon is not necessarily a physical place, but a spiritual presence and, and moral influence. So it's entirely appropriate for us to celebrate when God judges immoral influences and wipes them out of the world. If the abortion industry was completely gone, would we not rejoice? If the pornography industry was completely destroyed, would we not rejoice? If genocide and ethnic cleansing were annihilated, would we not rejoice? We rejoice because God's judgments are righteous and just. And this passage here is a direct response to the saints calling out to God back in chapter 6. When they said, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And Jesus told them to wait a little longer. And here that time has come where God will avenge his faithful witnesses. His promises for the, he promises for those who conquer will come to pass. And as we'll see in the next chapter, next week, there'll be a great marriage feast and celebration when God avenges 
his servants. So, brothers and sisters, may we flee from Babylon and her influences. May we not be seduced by her, but may we hold fast to the truths of God and rejoice in his righteous justice.